Hello, you're listening to Bible Truth Feed. You're very welcome. We have a short podcast for you now, about six minutes long. This one's entitled, Is God a Moral Monster? Now, this short video um, and podcast was taken from a book by Paul Copan of the same name, Is God a Moral Monster? Making Sense of the Old Testament God. Now, there are many views that, because of the Old Testament in particular, the way God instructed his chosen nation Israel to deal with the nations around them and his uh, instructions on slavery and all other aspects are called into question uh, God's morality. But do we have a right to question God's morality? Does the created say to the creator, why have you made me thus? Or why do you instruct me thus? This video, it's only six or seven minutes long. It, it looks at those things and makes observations that I think you might find interesting. But if uh, you have any questions or comments, um, please do get in touch. We have got a much larger series on this whole subject by a brother, Ron Cowie from Australia deals with um, all kinds of aspects of the Old Testament God. Well worth a listen. If you go to christadelphianvideo.org and type in, is God a moral monster? You should, it should pull the video straight up for you. But enjoy the podcast. And like I say, leave us a message if you wish and we'll do our best to publish it if we can. Thank you for listening. God bless and bye. Welcome to Big Questions, Episode 6, Is God a Moral Monster? This series of episodes was inspired by the book, Is God a Moral Monster? by Paul Capan, which goes into this topic in a lot more detail. We'll cover some of the highlights in the following episodes. Perhaps you've heard it said that the God of the Old Testament is an angry, jealous, vengeful God that condones genocide, ethnic cleansing, racism, slavery, and rape. Maybe you've struggled to read sections of the Bible that seem so foreign to our 21st century norms and experiences. In this series of presentations, we hope to address some of these issues and encourage you to trust the Bible and its divine author. We also hope to give some insights and suggestions on how we are to understand the difficult sections of the Bible. We are taking the position that God is not a moral monster and that the claims against him are either due to misunderstanding, misinformation, or, in some cases, a deliberate and blatant attempt to denigrate the Christian God. In this first presentation, we will look at three overarching principles that relate to this topic. Firstly, God's methods are mysterious to us. Paul Copan, in his book, Is God a Moral Monster?, says, The scriptures reveal a God who works through messy, seemingly inefficient processes including human choices and failures, to accomplish his redemptive purposes. God is always almost late. That is, God rarely acts as we think he should. For example, he began the, your descendants will be as multitudinous as the stars in heaven and the sand on the seashore promise with an elderly, barren couple, Abraham and Sarah. Probably not what we would have done. God himself makes the following claim in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. Indeed, my plans are not like your plans, and my deeds are not like your deeds. 
For just as the heaven is higher than the earth, so my deeds are superior to your deeds, and my plans superior to your plans. Secondly, you can't judge God or Jesus by the actions of their professed followers. In fact, Jesus himself warned about this in Matthew 7 verses 15 to 23, where he says, Watch out for false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are voracious wolves. You will recognize them by their works. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, and do many powerful deeds in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you workers of iniquity. So, have professed Christians done terrible things? Yes. Does that mean there is a problem with the principles of Christianity? No. Have professed atheists done good things? Yes. Does that mean that the principles of atheism are a viable foundation on which to base society? Not necessarily. We must judge atheism and theism based on the principles each espouse. Let's let Richard Dawkins speak about the underpinnings of atheism. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. The logical conclusion of a cold, blind universe with no absolute authority means people can make their own decisions about what is right or wrong. And people like Stalin, Pol Pot, Mayo, and many others made decisions that resulted in the death of millions of people. The principles of Christianity could be summarized by the following words of Jesus. He says, I say to you, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who mistreat you, so that you may be like your Father in heaven. Would Jesus approve of the Inquisition, the Crusades, or the persecution of the Jews? Certainly not. A society based on the principles of the Golden Rule espoused by Jesus would be one in which everyone would live with more care and concern for each other. The third and final principle is that the Law of Moses was always meant to be temporary and provisional, allowing for the transition from family tribal clans to nationhood. Though a necessary part of God's unfolding plan, the Sinai legislation wasn't God's final word. It was given for a specific period of time and then set aside. Not because the law was a bad thing, now happily abolished, but because it was a good thing, whose purpose had been accomplished. How then did God address matters such as patriarchal structures, rights of the firstborn, polygamy, warfare, slavery, and a number of other fallen social arrangements that were tolerated because of the hardness of human hearts? He met Israel part way. As Jesus stated in Matthew 19 verse 8, Because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it has not been this way. We could apply this passage to many problematic structures within the ancient Near East context. We could say, because of the hardness of hearts, the law of Moses permitted slavery and patriarchy, warfare and the like, and your actions sometimes caused God to become jealous and angry. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. Although the law made allowances for these things, it also implemented safeguards to prevent abuse. These allowances were not ideal, nor universal. 
like two sides of the same coin, we have human hard-heartedness on the one side and divine forbearance on the other. God put up with many aspects of human fallenness and adjusted accordingly. Ultimately, grace triumphed over law, but it took time. Israel's Old Testament covenant or law isn't a universal ideal and was never intended to be so. In our next presentation, we plan to look more closely at what the Bible says about slavery and the treatment of women. We hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. Please like and subscribe to stay in touch with future videos, or leave us a comment.